today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I think that's the litmus test. They wanted to be around him because he was meek. Never make meek synonymous with weak. Meekness is strength under control. This is fully God, fully man in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son. Omnipotent, all-powerful, yet meek, humble. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 1 Timothy. Jesus wasn't what people thought he would be. He wasn't some mighty warrior king set out to slay his enemies. He was meek. But as you'll learn in today's message with Pastor J.D., Jesus wasn't weak. He was strong and powerful, but it was his meekness that set him apart and made even children run to him. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in 1 Timothy chapter 6 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Thou shalt not. I forbid you. That's not why it's bad. No, sin is forbidden because it's bad for you. Let me say that again. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. How we are as earthly parents, I always like to, in just my way of thinking as an earthly fallen father, and how much I love my children, and I love my children, and I love my wife, and I think as an earthly fallen father, as an earthly fallen husband, imperfect in all of my ways, (laughs) how much do I love them? How much more does my heavenly father love me? I think about the prodigal son, the wayward daughter, and just the heartbreak that that prodigal son or wayward daughter will never know. Here's this mother, this father, just devastated because they love them so much. But here's the thing. Your loving heavenly father loves them more than you ever could. Think about that. It's too high for my understanding. Never let the enemy twist, pervert, for lack of a better word, the commands of God as if they're burdensome. Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God will never command us to do anything without also enabling us to do that which He's commanded us to do. And why? Because He loves you. He loves me. He loves us so much. And now He'll never force Himself on us. He'll never force His will on us. He's given us free will to choose. And I just imagine my loving Heavenly Father that just wants to spare me from needless pain, sorrow, grief, suffering from the consequences that always ensue 
Let's talk about these people there in Ephesus that apparently uh, they were loaded, man. I mean, he's not saying, you know, tell them to command them to not be arrogant and command them to do good things. And he's saying that for their sake. Because if they're that proud, you know what comes with pride? The fall. Destruction. Pride always comes before the fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. So here's Paul, by the Holy Spirit, because of a loving Heavenly Father, saying to these rich people there in Ephesus, I want to spare you of the agony that comes, because the fall always comes when we're proud. And here's another thing. This is perhaps more important. We're told that God knows the proud from afar off, but He gives grace to the humble. I want you to picture that with me. This is something the Lord has ministered to me over the years, but God is humble. Think about that. We are never more like Christ than when we're humble. And we're never more like Satan than when we're proud. So God says He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, just picture this loving, humble, tender, heavenly Father saying, get away from me. I can't be with you when you're full of pride. You know one of the things that has always struck me about the Savior in the Gospels is that little children were attracted to Him and gravitated to Him. So much so on that one occasion, all these kids are running towards Jesus, and the disciples are like, hey, what are you guys doing? Go go juggle knives on the freeway. Get out of here. This is the Savior. <laughs> and Jesus rebukes them. He says, don't do that. Don't forbid the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven made up as these. Have you ever asked yourself the question of why it was that the children were so attracted to Jesus? I think it was because He was so approachable. And you know why He was so approachable? Because He was so humble. I know that for me, kids don't run to me. They run from me. <laughs> They're scared of me. But there must have been something about Jesus that was so inviting, so non-threatening, that made him so approachable that kids would flock to him. I think that's the litmus test. They wanted to be around him because he was meek. Never make meek synonymous with weak. Meekness is strength under control. This is fully God, fully man in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son omnipotent, all-powerful, yet meek, humble. In the Proverbs, we, in our study through the Proverbs, replete throughout that study, you had this common theme that with humility comes wisdom. And wisdom is the application of information. See, knowledge is just information. But wisdom is the application of that information. So how do I get that wisdom? 
humility. It works both ways. Let's flip it around. If wisdom comes vis-a-vis humility, then wouldn't it stand to reason that pride comes vis-a-vis folly? It works both ways. I should have said the other way around. It's been a long week. Folly comes. Anyway, you get the point. Humility is the beginning of wisdom. And what is that? Oh, it's to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. And to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And here's a loving heavenly Father that wants His people to be spared unnecessarily of the consequences of their folly, their pride, their arrogance, being conceited. Self-reliance, it's another topic for another time. Well, the second command in verses 18 and 19 is, thou shalt do good and be generous. It's a command. Now, in verse 17, Paul explains to Timothy both the what and the why. And here in verses 18 and 19, he will now explain the how. Specifically, how is it that we can put our trust and hope in the Lord, taking hold of the life, I love this, that's truly life. You know that saying we have, man, that's living. That's really living. What is that life that's truly life? Well, it's the life instead of the riches of this life. But we still have a problem here that we need to talk about and resolve. What's the problem? Here's the problem. The more we have, the more we trust in what we have. Right? And the more we have, the more we have will have us. Right? See, it's not what you have, it's what has you. It's not what's in your garage, nice car, it's what's in your heart. It's not what you possess, it's what possesses you. That's what Paul is talking about here. See, those who have riches trust in those riches, and they do so at the expense of trusting God. And it gets worse. Hang on, this is a bigger problem than you thought. The more we have, the more difficult it is to give what we have. You know, the statistics bear this out. I don't want to draw attention to it as a pastor. It'll uh, certainly come off self-serving. But the richest people give the least. I'm not looking at anybody when I say that. I'm just, by the way, just for the record, I do not see who gives what. So you know, okay? Some of you are going, whew. I don't want to know, because <laughs> then I'll look at you differently. Like James says, you know, here comes this, you know, big tither. Oh, hey, brother, can I get you a cup of coffee? Uh, here, come have a seat here in this very important seat, because you're a very important person. Was that bad? That was really bad. That's why I don't do it. Or conversely, somebody who doesn't give, they come in, just stay out there in the foyer 
Oh, I know, better yet, sit by the agape box. I think you get the point. I'm over-dramatizing it for a reason, right? But it's true. The ones who have the least give the most. And the ones who have the most give the least. Do you want to know why I believe it's like that? It's because those with the most are afraid of losing what they have. So they hold on to it tighter, and they become stingy misers. You know, it's interesting, we learned about this in our study in Ecclesiastes on Thursday nights. We're almost done. By the way, Lord willing, we'll be done chapter 12 uh, this Thursday. But you know the word miser? Not a word we use much, right, in our day. You know what the word miser means? Someone who's real frugal and stingy. Well, basically, let's just call them a tightwad. There, I said it. Do you know the word miser is the root word of miserable? Yeah, miserable, miser, miserable. I got to tell you, years ago I worked for Mercedes-Benz and I had occasion to meet a lot of very rich people. And you would think they would be so happy. They were the most miserable people I'd ever met in my life. Why? Because the more they had, the more what they had, had them. And the more they had, the more they worried about losing what they had. They would stay up at night, and this is replete again throughout Scripture. The riches that one possesses ransoms their very life. It takes away their very life. You know, the person that doesn't have two quarters to rub together has a much better night's sleep than the guy that's got this, you know, what am I going to do? especially in this economy. I got tenants that won't pay the rent. I don't have to worry about that. I got this investment in the stock market. It's down. What am I going to do? I don't have to worry about that. I'm just, you know, the more you have, the more you worry about what you have. So that's the problem. So have a nice afternoon. We'll close in prayer with that. What's the answer? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. The answer to the question of how is answered this way, be generous and willing to share and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You won't have to worry about moth getting to it, rust eating it, thieves, the government breaking in and stealing it. You don't have to worry about any of that. It's protected in heaven. And here's the thing, by the way, spoiler alert, you can't take it with you. As one said, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. It won't happen. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You know, the freest people, the richest people, are the ones who have transferred their investment portfolio into heaven. Let me say it like this. This is the cure for the arrogance, pride, that comes with affluence, and it's also the cure for those who trust in riches and worry about riches. It's Matthew chapter 6, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I know I say that about all the passages, but verses 19 through 34 particularly. 
God has used this in my life in such a powerful way over the years. If you're a worrier, and I've been very open with you about my struggles with worry and anxiety and fear. I'm a very good worrier, I'll have you know. I have a PhD in worry. No, I'm so good at it that if I run out of things to worry about, I'll ask you if there's something I can worry about for you. That's how good I am. No, that's good. And over the years, the Lord has delivered me from that, cured me of that. And Matthew six nineteen through 34 is the how. Can I invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 6? This is affectionately referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. I like to call it the Sermon on the Amount. That's what he's talking about here. And as I read this and talk about this, I want you to notice the parallels between what Jesus is saying here in this sermon and what Paul wrote to Timothy in our text. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say it the other way around. He doesn't say where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be. No, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So, example, illustration. Your treasure is down here. Where's your heart? Down here. Your treasure is in your investments. Where's your heart? In your investments. That's what he's saying. How's that working out for you, by the way? especially in this uncertain economy. Uh, By the way, the coming one world economy, it's going to be cashless. We've been talking about this for years. Those students of Bible prophecy, we've known about this for years. Did you ever think that this would be the way and when it would happen? So how are they going to bring in this cashless one world economy? Because they just can't say, okay, now we're going to go to a one world economy. No, they're going to destroy the global economies. It's a controlled demolition, if I can say it that way, the current global economies to bring in the cashless one world economy. By the way, that's why it is that when you go to the store, You have to have the exact change if you have cash, because they don't give you change. And it's like right now, coins, bad, very bad. Ooh, you have coins. And then how dare you bring in currency with coronavirus on it? Get that away from me. I'll take it. It's actually, it's just the agape boxes are on the (laughs) back wall. They're destroying cash. They have to. Does that make sense? How are they going to make it cashless? Destroy cash. So again, have a nice afternoon. So you're going to put your trust in that? I wouldn't do that if I were you. Because of what's coming. But if your treasure is in heaven, 
It's like, bring it on. First of all, I'm not going to be here for that because the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation. So see ya, would want to be ya, as my wife always says. And then he says this, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one, verse 24, can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Stop right there. Did you notice he didn't say, uh, you shouldn't serve both God and money. No, you cannot. It's an impossibility. It's either one or the other. If you're serving money, if money is your God, then the true and living God is not your God. Therefore, verse 25, whenever you see a therefore, you know why it's therefore. And we're going to be told why the therefore is therefore. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air, verse 26. Now, for those of you who have been to Israel with us, this is, I know you're going to tire of me saying this, it's one of my favorite places to teach, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. There on the hillside, in view of the beautiful Sea of Galilee, and depending on what time of the year you go there, the flowers are in bloom, and the birds are in the air, and it is just magnificent. Picture in your mind's eye the Savior there on that hillside. The waters of the Sea of Galilee serene and calm. The birds in the air singing. Oh, and the beautiful, magnificent colors of the flowers in bloom. And here's Jesus saying, look at those birds. And you look at the birds and you go, wow, those are... I hope they're not a minor bird. I don't like minor birds. <laughs> I never have. I'm sorry. Pray for me. So they're not minor birds, okay? Look at the birds. Jesus, I want you to look at those birds. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from First Timothy with Pastor J.D., approach each piece of wisdom prayerfully and ask God to show you how you can apply what you learn to your own life. He can and does teach you through His Word, so keep reading. If you're not part of a local church that you can call home, we encourage you to find and begin regularly attending one in your area. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. This can be found on our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
While you're there, you can also find more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates and the ABCs of salvation. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of 1 Timothy together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know how we can be doing that for you? Just fill out the contact form that you'll find under the About tab at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube pages on our website. And we encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and in spirit and truth. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth, verse-by-verse study of 1 Timothy on In Spirit and Truth. 